0: Walters would like to wish Juan Soto and Josh Bell all the luck in San Diego and look forward to their returns to Nationals Park next weekend.
1: Walters will never forget the memories of 2019 Soto helped create and appreciate everything you both did in the community since your arrival. We're driven by the search for better. But when it
2: comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: is loaded two balls two strikes the pitch swing a high fly ball deep to right Palacios going back way back going going and gone goodbye into the Nationals bullpen a grand slam for Daniel Vogelbach and oh what a disastrous top of the fifth inning this has turned out to be his first home run in a Mets uniform
0: and it's now a 6-0 New York lead and welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, August 4th, 2022, along with Massinsports.com Nationals Insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Tuesday night's surprising 5 1 win over the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park for our Juan Soto list and Josh Bell list Nats. That was fun. Wednesday's 9 5 loss to the Mets for the Nats was reality. Now, the Nats did make things interesting. Five run bottom of the ninth to go from trailing. Nine nothing to trailing at 9-5, but the game in a lot of ways was an indicator of what may well be coming for the Nats as they play out the rest of this season. Nats fall to a major league worst 36 and 70 on the year. The San Diego Padres on Wednesday put out video of Juan Soto's first full day as a padre. Um, I don't know about you. I had a hard time watching that. I was like, cheese, do we really need to have this? But of course we now do have this. The Nats on Wednesday put out video highlighting the players who the team received in Tuesday's trade. Mark, it has begun. The post-Soto era. This all still feels so strange and weird and bizarre, but here we are.
1: Yeah, and look, it's not like we haven't had some of these moments the last few years with other guys going to other teams, seeing Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in Dodgers jerseys was really weird, but this one is way up there and maybe even more so because at least in those cases, we kind of had a sense it was going to happen. This one, I know we had two weeks to think about the possibility, but it sounds like Juan Soto himself even said he was still surprised when it happened. He honestly didn't think it was actually going to happen. And now there he is on the other side of the country wearing brown and yellow and pinstripes and a huge line of fans waiting to get in. I mean, San Diego is fired up and good for them. They're excited about what that team could be, but it is going to be strange. And it's especially going to be a strange next weekend when the Padres are here in DC. I mean, Who could have figured that would happen so quickly? It's literally the next Nats home game is against the Padres with Juan Soto and Josh Bell.
0: Yeah, you know, we've had this before, like you said. This does feel, though, very different. And I know we can be prisoners of the moment, but Max Serbs are being traded was one thing. Rice Harper leaving was one thing. Trey Turner being traded even was one thing, even though there still was a year left of team control. Anthony Rendon leaving was one thing. This really does feel different. I know you get a lot of feedback from people. I do too. There is an anger. There is a vitriol from a lot of people right now. And there's a lot of, you know, I'm done with the Nats. I'm never going to a game again. Now, people say things like that all the time. So let's see, you know, if the team is winning 95 games sooner rather than later, then I think people will be showing up. But There is a real dissatisfaction that I have not sensed before with those other departures.
1: Yeah, I think like we said, there was an argument to be made that you could sell people on the idea of, yeah, we lost Rendon and Harper and Scherzer and Turner. But if all of that led to them keeping Juan Soto, because he was the one that was worth keeping, I think you could have convinced a decent amount of the fan base that that was okay that that was an okay resolution to all of this. Now you take that out of the equation and there's just a feeling of, well, why should I ever bother falling in love with anybody who plays for this team, any star player who plays for this team? Because inevitably, by the time six years are up, or as we found out in this case, by the time four and a half years are up, they're just going to be going somewhere else. So I get that frustration. I completely feel it. It's the kind of thing that fans of teams like the A's and the Pirates and the Rays have been feeling for years. And there was a sense around here that that's not who the Nationals are. This is a bigger market club who pays their star players and who sustains success. And to go from the super high of the World Series in 2019 to now having seen it be completely torn down and the final straw being the biggest name of them all, who's this guaranteed superstar player for many more years. I can understand why people have those feelings. I will say I agree with you. If, you know, whether it's 2024, 2025, 26, whenever it happens, when this team wins again, they will have fans excited for them. They will be at the games. They will watch on TV, all that stuff. I can understand why people want to remove themselves from it for a while right now. Ultimately, I think as Jerry Seinfeld has said very well in his act, we're really rooting for laundry here. You're rooting for whoever is wearing the jersey, not the individuals wearing them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Winning cures all. I think we all get that. And, you know, the Nats will win again. I mean, they're not going to be bad forever. The question is, how soon does the team become good again? I think, though, with the Nats, there are a few other things, too, that are in play here that make this situation especially unique. One is, since the World Series championship was won in October 2019, you really could not have scripted a worse three years following a championship. I mean. It's hard to think of another team that won a championship that had a worse three year run than the Nats have had since they won their championship. And not all of that is the team's fault, okay? The COVID shutdowns were not the Nats' fault. And, you know, not having fans in the stadium the following season, not the Nats' fault. We get that. But so many things have gone wrong for the team since then. It's remarkable. So, you know, I think there's that aspect to this. And the other thing is, Baseball back in D.C. is still relatively new, right? The Nats' first season in the city was 2005. So, you know, you're still trying to cultivate the baseball fan in Washington, D.C. You're still trying to build up people as fans of the sport of baseball in D.C. And losing Soto hurts in that regard. Forget about wins and losses. If you're trying to get a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old invested in watching Nationals games, if you're trying to get a 16-year-old with the attention span that can last about 30 seconds and no more to be invested in Nationals games, a guy like Soto helps you, and getting rid of a guy like that hurts you in that cause. And so, you know, there's that aspect to this as well.
1: Yeah, it's funny you should say that, because I have a 10-year-old at home, and he and his friends were just old enough to really appreciate the Nationals winning the World Series, kind of understood what that meant. And I remember thinking to myself that night and a few days later at the parade, they've just won themselves a whole generation of fans. There's a group of kids that have grown up with this team that are now going to be fans for life because of this. Now, three years later, is that gone? Is that going to change? We'll see. I'm sure that for some of these kids who I can tell you from experience, they are less invested in teams it feels like right now than they are in individuals or in they watch highlights not games they know a lot of the star players they don't necessarily just automatically feel a love and attraction for their hometown team it sometimes extends just about to the sport they all love baseball but they might root for different teams and different players on those teams so we'll see there is i think a real risk of that a generation that you had in the palm of your hand that you may lose them at least for a while here. And you haven't locked them up yet. It may be a while until you've guaranteed that. So yeah, that is a concern. Something we're going to be watching the next few years. What is the attendance like? It's going to be down. There's no way it's not going to be. The season ticket base is going to go way down. There's always going to be the hardcore group of fans. And we know those of you listening to this are that group. You're with us all the way through this, good and bad. But there's also that next group after that, who wants to be in it, but they need a reason to be in it. And the events over the last three years, step by step by step to where we've gotten now, I can understand why people in that group might not want to hang on to this at the moment.
0: It's been tough. It's been really tough. I mean, whether you talk about All of the losing in terms of games, you talk about what has happened with Steven Strasburg, what has happened with Patrick Corbin, you know, losing also an Anthony Rendon, a Max Scherzer, a Trey Turner, like all of these things that have happened with this team since winning the championship. I mean, if you didn't know better, you'd think that like some Faustian deal was arrived at and, you know, you made a deal with the devil of, okay, you'll get a World Series championship, but then the three years that follow are going to be a nightmare for you. And that's what it feels like. I mean, if you're a Nats fan, what really has gone well since October 2019. So we hear where you guys are coming from, no doubt, but we're glad to have you. We want to thank everyone for the uh, listenership of the last few days been a season high for us and we thank you for that very much. We don't take you guys listening to this podcast for granted, so thank you. And uh, stay with us. I mean, look, the team may not be good, but we try to make this podcast good and have good conversations and there is a lot to get into. The Nats may not be a good team, but they are in a really a fascinating predicament right now in terms of the state of the ball club. And so, you know, these are the conversations That we've been having. So before we get to the specifics of uh, this game on Wednesday, there was some news after the game. One of the things I wanted to bring up with you was where's Luke Voigt? When are we getting our guy Luke Voigt here, our new first baseman? And uh, sure enough, you put this out there. The Nats have requested unconditional release waivers on all cities Escobar. So Escobar is about to be gone. And presumably this is being done to welcome Luke Voigt.
1: Yeah, Luke Voigt is going to join them in Philadelphia on Thursday, probably will be in the lineup, probably at first base, maybe as DH. And so somebody needed to go. And Escobar, look, it's been kind of a punching bag and he's been in a tough spot. He's been a great soldier through it all because it's been an uncomfortable position as literally the 26th man on the roster who hardly ever plays in the month since he came back from his injury. He had two relief pitching appearances and three plate appearances as a hitter. And a couple others where he came off the bench and played in the field or ran the bases. I mean, that's it. He was good for them last year and kind of an emergency fill-in situation. But you get to this point this year and it was clear there just is not a place for him anymore. You know, and especially once Luis Garcia was established as the everyday player, there just is no need for him. So it's unfortunate that would happen to him this kind of unceremoniously. But they did need a clear spot. And they are, you know, I don't know if excited is the word, but they're happy to have Luke Voigt because this team is lacking in proven major league hitters right now and luke voigt may not be a great one but his ops is higher than anybody else who's currently on the roster and so he's going to find himself in the middle of this lineup for the rest of the season and probably beyond because he is under team control for two more years so we'll see him on thursday in philly for the moment he's the only one of the six players they acquired who's going to be on the major league roster there are a couple others who we could see fairly soon, or at least one of them in C.J. Abrams. The other one, Mackenzie Gore, we're going to wait and see what the injury is with his elbow and how long he's out. But for now, Luke Voigt's going to be the first evidence of what they got back in this trade. Not necessarily the key to the whole deal. Don't judge the deal based on whatever Luke Voigt does, but it is a you know proven major league hitter who's going to be around here and hopefully help them out somewhat.
0: Yeah. And let's be honest, Luke Voigt could be a trade ship a year from now. You know, Luke Voigt could be someone who the Nats end up flipping come the 2023 MLB trade deadline. Yeah. You know, it's something with Alcides Escobar. The Nats got stunning production from him last season. He was brought in to the Nats basically in an emergency scenario. The Nats, you know, as we talked about last season, lacking in organizational depth in a lot of different areas, have to go to the well of Alcides Escobar, who had not played in a major league regular season game since 2018. And Escobar, last season, 75 games, 349 plate appearances, OPS plus of 106. He really was a pleasant surprise. He re-signs early with the Nats in the offseason, and this season just was really bad. He was right back to where he was at in, say, 2018. And, you know, it really is instructive. You see this in sports, and it's not always easy to explain why you see this, but the guy making his last stand and nowhere and inexplicably does well. And then you say, well, let's bring them back and see if there's more. And more often than not, there isn't more. Like, it's almost like you get the surprising performance and then that's it. You should leave on the high note, like our friend George Costanza, because it's just, it's unlikely to continue. And we saw that with Escobar. It just did not continue. I don't fault the Nats for re-signing him and it's not like it cost them anything, but it is something. Like the same guy who was surprisingly productive for them last season, this season, Has really struggled. I mean, you know, just to go back to OPS Plus, 106 last season, 58 this season. I mean, a drastic drop off for Alcides Escobar.
1: Yeah, I've seen it happen with other guys too. Like you said, you get a player who is desperate to keep his career going and he gets another shot and he makes the most of it and he gets a guaranteed contract because of it. And it's just human nature. It's not them loafing it or anything like that. But the human nature is you lose that edge, You, you lose that feeling of, I'm fighting for my job every single day here. I now have some security. And a lot of cases, it's just natural that there's gonna be a drop off there. I mean, we talked about all along, there's probably a reason Escobar wasn't in the big leagues for a few years there. The Nats got the most they could out of him last year. It really was a godsend for them under those circumstances. It's unfortunate the way this year played out. But like I said, he understood the situation. He handled it well. He didn't gripe about anything. He was a good teammate. He was there every day doing whatever they needed from him, including relief pitching. And whether that's it for him as a big league player, I don't know. But it's certainly, he certainly was around for a lot of significant moments in Nats history over the last year.
0: He was. He witnessed a lot. That's true. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Great deal going on with Window Nation right now. The back-to-school sale. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing until 2024, visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and that you want the back-to-school sale. You want the deal that you heard about on the Natch Chat podcast. Window Nation is the best. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with Window Nation energy-efficient windows. You'll get an A-plus in savings. Window Nation has an A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Window Nation installers have installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow up service. Window Nation does the job and does the job right the first time. WindowNation.com or 866 90 Nation. Tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and say, hey, I want the back to school sale. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, you're not going to pay Window Nation a penny until the Nats are good again. 2024. That's WindowNation.com or 866-90-NATION. That's WindowNation.com or 866-90-NATION. And tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
3: Now the set of the pitch. swinging a ground ball left side. It's going to sneak through a base hit into left field. This will score Vargas. Here comes Robles. He scores on a perfectly placed ground ball through the hole on the left side. A base hit for Luis Garcia, his second hit of the game. He drives in his 24th and 25th runs of the year. And the Nationals have put five runs on the board here in the bottom of the ninth inning. It's now the Mets 9 and the Nationals 5.
0: So with this 9-5 loss to the Mets on Wednesday, really a bizarre game. I mean, for like 95% of the game, it felt like a back-to-reality blowout loss for the Nats. Offense doing nothing, pitching not good. You know, Nats are going to end up losing this game 9 nothing or something in that area. And then came the bottom of the ninth. The Nats go into the bottom of the ninth, down 9 nothing. The Nats in the bottom of the ninth, score five runs, and on a decent number of two-strike hits, the Nats in their five-run ninth had two home runs and four singles. Three of the six hits were two-strike hits. You know, initially, you're like, okay, whatever. And then as the inning is going on, you know, you do start to wonder, like, we had the surprising 5-1 win on Tuesday night. Are we about to see a, a little bit of a run here from the Nats, you know, pulling off these improbable wins over teams that the Nats have no business beating? Well, the Nats ended up losing the game. But, you know, I do give credit to the Nats from this standpoint. They're not just tapping out and giving away plate appearances late in these games. And I do think that there is something to be said for that. No one's going to be misled by what happened in the bottom of the ninth on Wednesday. But, you know, when you see k Ruiz-Homer and Lane Thomas-Homer and Luis Garcia come through with a two-out, two-run single, of having been down 0-2 and Victor Robles come through with a two-out full-count RBI single despite having been down 0-2. It was good to see that. You know, It felt like there was a pride on display. And again, you don't have guys just giving up and tapping out in the midst of what seems like a blowout loss.
1: So look, this has been a defining characteristic of this team for several years now. And we joke about it, the boys battling, but you do it enough. And it's not just like it's always the same guys. It's been totally different rosters over these years. That is a reflection of their manager who asks that of them to play hard all the way through to the finish. And it is infectious and they all do it. Doesn't mean they win a lot of these games, but it does show they are taking some pride that they are not just going through the motions and saying, well, God, we're headed for 105 losses this year. Why should we even bother? We're down nine, nothing. Let's just take a few swings, get the game over with. They don't do that. So yes, give them credit for that. You would like to see that approach earlier in the game. You would like to see it have a little bit more meaning. But, you know, perhaps, especially the young guys, like you said, Ruiz, Thomas, Robles, Garcia, perhaps doing it in this situation, in the back of their mind somewhere a few years from now, when they're actually in a really significant situation, maybe they remember it. Maybe they have some semblance of, oh, okay, I've been here before. I can do this. Don't let the moment become too big. So maybe there's a small glimmer of something to take from battling through these, you know, what should have been a blowout game and actually wound up becoming a little more interesting than that.
0: You really can't emphasize enough now the importance of young Nats players, potential building blocks for the Nats doing well. Like now more than ever, this really does matter. And so, you know, you think about someone like a Kbert Ruiz, you know, would love to see him start to pick it up offensively. He's done well defensively The offense has been kind of ho-hum. You know, there is more of a focus on his defense because he is a catcher. Would love to see him over the final two months of this season really pick it up offensively. You know, maybe we do start to see that here. But Ruiz on Wednesday, uh, two for four with a solo homer and a single. He in that five-run ninth had a one-out full-count solo homer to right field of having been down one-two. You know, Luis Garcia, he's done a good job offensively. Looks like he's about to become more of a second baseman than a shortstop when C.J. Abrams gets called up to the majors. Uh, Garcia on Wednesday, two for five, two-run single. Also a good-looking bunt single, bottom of the first, a first-pitch bunt single on a really nice bunt toward third base. So, you know, nice to see that. You know, Lane Thomas, I mean, I don't know what they have in him. You know, it's hard to really feel supremely confident in that. But, you know, he homered in that ninth inning on Wednesday, a two-out solo shot to left to cut the uh, Nats deficit to 9-2. And so, like, this is what you cling to. I mean, you know, you're searching for meaning, right? And this is what matters, is how these guys do here moving forward. And so we'll see. We'll cling to whatever we can cling to here as this season goes on. And then you have something like Ildemoro Vargas on Wednesday. We have not had many four-hit games this Nat season. We did, though, on Wednesday from Ildemoro Vargas. You say, well, who is that? Well, the Nats on Monday afternoon selected the contract of Vargas from AAA Rochester. He's essentially the Nats' A-Ray Adrianza replacement. Uh, The Nats brought up Vargas off having traded Adrianza to the Atlanta Braves on Monday afternoon. Vargas, like Adrianza, is positionally versatile. Vargas on Wednesday was the Nats' starting third baseman and number nine batter, and he, he went four for four with four singles. He did have a costly error,
3: Dropped by Vargas, he'll pick it up, he'll throw to second and throws it away into right field. Nimmo heads for third, Marte speeds into second as Palacios retrieves it. Vargas took a peek to see if he had a chance to really double the runner off third on the line drive, dropped it,
0: and still had a chance to go around the horn for a 5-4-3 double play and threw it into right field. You know, I was thinking about this more years from now when the Nats are back to being good again, there are names that we will remember from the dark period. And some of the names are unique names, you know, like we probably will remember Josh Palacios, you know, like that's a unique name that kind of stands out. We, I think, may well remember Ildemoro Vargas. Unique name, but a good game for him on Wednesday.
1: Yeah. I mentioned the other night, Lavelle Spigner as a random name from the past that has always stuck with me both because of the name I'm sure it had something to do with it and one memorable performance he had against Johan Santana. So yes, maybe we'll forever remember this as the Ildemargo Vargas game. The funny thing about him is his reputation is actually as a really good defensive player, and he committed a ghastly error in this game that really didn't help Annabelle Sanchez out at all. Dropped a routine line drive and then threw the ball away. And so what does he end up doing? He gets four hits on the day, and it turns out like he's got a little Tony Gwynn in him or something. Making contact, going the other way, four singles he's been around he's 31 years old he was with the Cubs earlier this season so he's not some spring chicken or anything like that this isn't his major league debut nothing along those lines but he had a nice day I don't know what the future holds for him I guess he's going to be the backup infielder for now and maybe get a little bit of time at third base but kind of an out of nowhere big game for a guy that who I'm sure most fans had never heard of before uh, this game began
0: No, I mean, if you're not locked into the Nats, you are seeing players and you are seeing names right now that you're not used to and that most people are not used to. You know, Vargas and Palacios and, you know, it's going to be more and more of this Joey Manessis. Like, who? What? Like, no, these guys are on the Nats now. This is what the Nats are moving forward. You mentioned Anibal Sanchez. Five runs, four earned in four and a third innings for him on Wednesday, he gave up five hits, a homer a double and three singles, issued three walks, one of which was intentional, also issued a hit by pitch, had just two strikeouts. He over his four into third innings threw ninety seven pitches. Boy, is that a sky high pitch count for four in a third innings. You know, I actually thought that he was a little bit better than the final line indicated. The final line really got ravaged by the giving up of a grand slam by Jordan Weems. Uh, Mets had a four-run fifth. Sanchez in that inning charged with three runs, two earned. He in that inning had two walks, one of which was intentional, and then another base runner reached base via that aforementioned throwing error by Vargas. And then Weems came into the game and gave up a one-out grand slam to Daniel Vogelback to right field for a six-nothing Mets lead. So you know, I will uh, give a bit of a break to Annibal, but. Here's the bottom line with Sanchez. Now, four major league starts for the Nats this season, 20 innings, 18 runs, 17 earned. We get that there aren't many other options. We get that the Nats are just trying to play out the string. Is there a level, though, of competence that the Nats are going to ask for here? Are they going to continue to allow Sanchez to go out there and give up close to a run per inning? Or do you think that some kind of a change may be coming if this keeps up to this degree?
1: So, um, yeah, look, they obviously need to have better options here. And we talked the other day about why Kate Cavalli does not appear to be an immediate Option for them. Eventually, we are going to see him. I like to think eventually we're going to see Cole Henry. Maybe we'll see Joanna Doan again, although that hasn't been so great when he's been up here. You would hope that Mackenzie Gore can make some starts for them before this is all said and done, but he is dealing with elbow inflammation and they're going to be careful with him, so I don't know exactly when that's going to happen. And in the meantime, these are the guys you have to send out there. Now, it's annoying to watch because, like you said, he didn't pitch as bad as the line would show, but Especially at this stage of his career, he just doesn't have the ability to put hitters away. And so he gets into these long at-bats and there's a nine-pitch walk to Francisco Lindor and then an immediate home run given up to Pete Alonso. It's like you could just see that coming. The fact he couldn't get through five innings with a pitch count that was almost up to 100, he's frustrated by that. That's not who he's been throughout his career, but he's 38 and he's not the same pitcher. That he was anymore. So for now, I think it's still him. And we see the state of this rotation It includes Sanchez. It includes Paolo Espino. It includes uh, for now, Corey Abbott until some other guys get healthy or until they make the move and call up the kids. This is what it's going to be. And I don't know. There's a whole lot else out there they can do to change that.
0: Nats' bullpen on Wednesday was interesting. Four Nats relievers combined to give up four runs in four and two-thirds innings on nine hits. Uh, the bullpen gave up a lot of hits, but the bullpen also had eight strikeouts. It was really a Jekyll and Hyde game for the bullpen. Uh, you had something like Steve Ciszek, top of the seventh, a scoreless inning, uh, gave up a leadoff double, but also had three strikeouts. You had something like Andres Machado, a uh, scoreless top of the eighth, despite giving up a leadoff single followed by a double. He had three strikeouts. In that inning. But also with the pen on Wednesday was a rough outing for Jordan Weems. He officially allowed three runs in one and two thirds innings, but there was a lot more to his outing than just that. Came into the game in the top of the fifth with the bases loaded, one out, Nats down 2 0. And Weems ended up being like the anti Kyle Finnegan. He did not put out the fire. Uh, Weems, in fact, added to the fire. He was an arsonist. Uh, Weems, to the first batter he faced, gave up a grand slam, gave up a one out grand slam to Daniel Vogel back to right field for a 6 nothing Mets lead. And then Weems in the top of the six allowed two runs, gave up a triple, a double, and two singles. Lane Thomas had a screw-up on the triple. It was by Luis Guillorme. Thomas uh, made a sliding attempt to get the ball, and uh, he missed on the attempt, and the ball went all the way to the left field corner. So, you know, with Jordan Weems, he's like a lot of these guys. At times, he looks really good. He unfortunately did not look so good on Wednesday.
1: Well, that's a big spot for him to come in. He's facing one of the, you know, a, a tough left-handed hitter in Vogelback. The bases are loaded. Remember the Nats don't have a lefty in their bullpen, so they're going to use whoever they feel they have that's best suited for that matchup. He's got two strikes on him, and Davey Martinez afterwards was saying he thought that that situation called for a changeup, something to go down and away, maybe get Vogel back out in front of it and hit a weak ground ball. Instead, They go with a fastball there and it's right over the plate and he hits it for the grand slam. And it's just another example of, I don't think, I don't know if we've talked about this enough, young, inexperienced pitchers and young, inexperienced catchers who maybe are not calling a game or choosing their pitch selection the way that you would get from guys who've done this a lot longer and maybe not in the moment thinking about different sequences And reading the hitters and the way that bat is going, and this may have been another case of that, Cabert Ruiz has done a really nice job in a lot of ways for them, and it's not his fault. He's essentially a rookie catcher being asked to do this, but you do wonder over time, you hear more and more of these kinds of things, that eventually he can start to take a little more command there and insist on a certain pitch because he can tell how an at-bat is going and how a hitter is reacting to certain pitches. It sounded like David Martinez really felt like that was the wrong pitch selection in that spot.
0: Would it ever be that Davey or Jim Hickey or someone from the dugout could call pitches or at least override a pitch call, or is it just that not something that is done?
1: It doesn't really happen much at this level It's a tough thing to do, you know, especially without like calling time out or coming out of the dugout and now you've used up a mound visit, that kind of thing. So I think especially in the situation they're in where they understand it's a learning season and they're growing and there's going to be pains with it. They kind of let these guys go through it. And then when the game's over, they sit down and talk to them, get their thought process, share their thoughts on it. And the hope would be that over time they start to learn some of these things. It's among the reasons, we haven't really talked about this at all, Henry Blanco, who was their bullpen coach for several years, has been in the dugout all this year as an additional coach. He's essentially the catching coach, and they wanted him there so that he could be talking to Ruiz throughout the game in between innings, working with him as somebody who was a long time Major League catcher. So I think over time, you're going to see the benefits of it, but there are still these growing pains in these moments where you have to remind yourself, it's essentially a rookie catcher out there and very often an inexperienced pitcher.
0: You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. I've said this before, but I mean this. We get a lot of smart emails. We read all of them. We appreciate all of them. We learn from them. So keep the feedback coming on the Juan Soto trade, on the state of the Nats, whatever you want. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can also email Tim Shovers about sponsoring the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, the uh, address is Podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating. Those are very much appreciated. All Nats highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. It is Escobar,
3: and he swings and hits it into left center. Back at the track. It is dropped. Cespedes couldn't make the catch. How about that effort? Digging around third. Here comes Escobar. 1-0 Kansas City. And inside the park home run for Alcides Escobar to start the World Series.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?